0: Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Well, good evening. It's great to have you with us and welcome once again to In Context, the radio show where we look at the scriptures and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. Uh, You can find us here on internet radio by going to truthfm.uk and clicking on the link that you'll find there to listen in. Uh, Or you can find us on the Truth.fm app when you uh, download that. Look out for the Truth.fm.uk button gizmo um, on it. But then again, if you're with us tonight, you must have found your way in somehow or other. So jolly good to have you here with us once more. My name is Patrick Boynes. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher and I'm learning to follow him throughout every moment of of life's uh, journey. And we are on a journey through the writings of Luke. Last time we were together, we began to look at what are generally referred to as the infancy narratives. And as we probably said then, these infancy narratives are found in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. That's the first volume which Luke wrote, and those two chapters are surprisingly well divided. Well, the story began, you may recall, with a rather spectacular announcement in the temple there in the ancient city of Jerusalem. An announcement, we should say, that was met with a degree of incredulity by a certain priest by the name of Zechariah. The angel Gabriel had been sent from the very presence of God to let him know that his wife would bear him a son, and this son would be great before the Lord, and his name was to be John. Well, we'll hear more about of him in a few weeks, Lord willing. The last that we saw of Zechariah was him returning home in silence, you may recall, he had been struck dumb. Um, Yes, we saw him returning home to the hill country of Judea to be with his wife, Elizabeth, After so many centuries of relative silence, at least as far as direct divine communication was concerned, the courts of heaven now seemed to be bustling with activity as the time had come for God to put the the master plan into operation. And if we fast forward five and a bit months to the passage that I want us to look at this evening, um, well, you'll find it there in the middle of this first chapter, and it goes rather like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. "'to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. "'And the virgin's name was Mary. "'And he came to her and said, "'Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you!' "'But she was greatly troubled at the saying "'and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. "'And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Isn't that absolutely amazing? You know, this next stage of the story introduces Joseph and Mary, a yet to be married couple living in the northern city of Nazareth in, in Galilee. We really don't have time to explore the history or the geography of the area. And, of course, radio isn't a terribly good medium to show you um, a lot of pictures. But the contrast with the recent events in the temple in Jerusalem must surely be evident to us. From the busyness and splendor and pomp and circumstance of the temple... This birth announcement takes place out in the country. And it's given to one who appears to be no more than an ordinary maiden of no particular consequence. And here's something for us to bear in mind whenever we're reading through the writings of Luke. Luke will often specialize in the ordinary. Now, we know virtually nothing about Mary other than that she was betrothed to Joseph, and a betrothal was a legally binding agreement, and could be made perhaps a year before the actual marriage took place. Well, at this time, a young woman could enter into such a relationship as young as 12 years old, it seems, although we have absolutely no way of knowing how old Mary was. But it was at this stage that she receives the visit from Gabriel and one can only assume that she must have been the most beautiful of young women at least as far as her heart was concerned for god chose her to be the one who would bring his son into the world We're told that she was favoured by God, she evidently had profound faith, and she was simply willing to do whatever God asked of her. Well, the initial announcement that she was to have a son would have been more than sufficient for most young ladies, particularly if they were not yet actually married. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Those are the words that she heard. Now, as with John, God had chosen the name. And I suppose if ever you've had to choose the name of a baby, well, you know how difficult this can be. I remember particularly with our third Child, um, I was pretty certain that if our third child was to be a boy, then the name would be Hector Melchizedek. But our third child turned out to be a girl, and I understand she's extremely thankful for that. And so we called her something completely different. But it wasn't easy Uh, choosing the name, but with John and with Jesus, well, God has chosen the names for them. Now, the remainder of the announcement is really quite simply amazing and must surely have been impossible for her to really even begin to comprehend. The angel went on to say that he will, this child, this son that she was to bear, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, the Davidic lineage has already been evident in that Joseph was earlier spoken of as being of the house of David, a lineage which presumably was not necessarily dependent upon biological relationship. But what was a far greater consequence was the divine lineage, if you like, this promised son, was to be the Son of the Most High. Now, beyond this, although Luke does not elaborate at this point, it is clear that the Jewish messianic hope is about to be realized, that promises made to generations gone by are about to be fulfilled. Well, as for Mary's response, it certainly was not one of disbelief, as had been um, that of Zechariah, you might recall. Though her response was perhaps more one of logistics. I mean, she simply didn't understand how could this happen. You know, she was a virgin. And of course, she obviously hadn't read to the end of the book. Well, again, the Holy Spirit was to play a, a critical role in coming upon Mary and overshadowing her. And the more that I think about this, the more truly remarkable this is, the, 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 the coming together of God and mankind in such a way as had never been known before. It's almost certain that Mary didn't understand much of what had been said to her. At least she certainly didn't fully understand the implications of her son being God in the flesh. But that really didn't matter. She was simply willing to do whatever God instructed for then Mary says the most beautiful thing. Behold, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Huh? Didn't I tell you she was beautiful? Well, so much could be said of the events that transpired, and yet so much is unknown to us. We know that Mary and Elizabeth were related, but we don't know how. More importantly, I suppose, we know that they were at this point now related by the Holy Spirit. When we read through the account I don't know whether it occurred to you, but to me, in some ways, the, the, the meeting between Mary and Elizabeth is it's being portrayed as a meeting between the two unborn children. It's, it's really an incredible scene, but it's one which is dominated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen again to the the response of Elizabeth. It's, It's really most revealing. And it gives us a little insight into her character. She said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Listen, here's a here's a a, a woman, an, an elderly woman who is married to an elderly priest and against all the odds as they would say she is now with child with her first child now there's no question in all of this that zechariah is the father but none of this would have happened were it not to have been for the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this sort of thing before. Right at the very beginning of the history of Israel, God intervened in the lives of, well, first of all, in the lives of Abraham or Abraham and and Sarah. Had it not have been for the intervention of God, they wouldn't have had a child and if they hadn't had a child then it's highly likely that their child wouldn't have had a child you know what they say about having children it's you know hereditary if your parents didn't have any then it's highly unlikely that you will so abraham and sarah you know they have this child and They have the child because God directly intervenes. Israel would never have been, and this is a truth repeated time and time again, Israel would never have been, they would never have even got off the ground had it not have been for the often frequent intervention of God. So there's no doubt about it here. In the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she has been blessed beyond all expectations. Luke has already told us that for five months she kept herself hidden. Now, I don't know whether that means that she had had no social interaction other than with her husband. But if that was the case, then presumably the greeting of Mary would have been the first voice that she'd heard in all that time, because Zechariah certainly hadn't spoken for more than five months since his uh, encounter in the temple, you recall. But on hearing the greeting the yet-to-be-born baby John leapt in her womb. I've got to say, I've absolutely no idea what that must feel like. I mean, I remember when my little ones hadn't yet been born and feeling them you know, move in their mummy's tummy, and I've, you know, um, experienced the same with my grandchildren. But here... This yet-to-be-born baby John leaps in the womb as she hears the greeting of Mary. Immediately, Elizabeth must understand the significance. She, she understands that standing in the presence of this young lady to whom she is somehow related, she is far more importantly standing in the presence of the mother of my Lord. Isn't that amazing? And then she goes on to say, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And I wonder whether Zechariah wasn't listening in at that point. Hmm, yes. Yet again, Luke presents us with this consistent pattern of promise and fulfillment. All of the promises made to God's people throughout the centuries were about to be fulfilled through the birth of the Christ child. Well, that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning, of course, it is now our mission segment for the evening and time for us to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage we're looking into each Monday evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want to always be thinking first of the mission of God and then consider our place within that. As we've probably said before, I know we have, and I'm sure we'll probably say it again, it's not the people of God who have a mission It's the mission of God that has a people. And perhaps one of the most striking things concerning the virgin conception of the baby Jesus is that God and mankind had joined together in such a profound and decisive manner, in such a way that had never been seen before. Now, I know that for many, particularly those who either reject the being of God himself or who question the full extent of his transcendent nature, the idea of a young lady becoming pregnant without having any sexual encounter seems, well, at best, absurd. But here's the thing. Such an invasion of humanity, such uh, an intimate incursion into the world of humanity was indeed truly outrageous. Never before had such a thing happened, never had such an idea even been conceived. But without this coming together of the divine with humanity, nothing of Jesus would make any sense. How else could he ever be 100% human and at the same time 100% divine? How else could he truly be the Word made flesh? We may not understand just how this happened in the same way, perhaps, that we may not fully understand how the scriptures might be both fully human and fully divine at the same time. But by faith we acknowledge that this is how it is and we marvel at the greatness of God. No wonder this child of Mary, this son of David, would also be called the Son of the Most High. And here we are today, indwelt by the very Spirit of God, making known the Word of God as we reach out into the world around us, a world that is lost in darkness. And we do so not as individuals, nor even simply as part of a believing community. We do so as fellow workers of God, confident that he is at work in us and through us to bring about his purpose for creation. Maybe sometime we can speak of the notion of incarnational mission, but maybe not tonight. But may we look beyond all of our imperfect lives. May we look beyond all our feeble efforts and be aware that we are sharing together with our brothers and sisters in Jesus in the greatest mission ever to be given to mankind. And we do so in partnership with the God of heaven and earth, may we always live to the glory and honor of him who is saving us by his grace. Well, as we come to the end of this week's edition of In Context, why don't you let me know your thoughts? You can message us on Facebook, look for the truthfm.uk page, or you can tweet us at... TruthFM.uk. Or now, now that our um, eager boffins have been at work, you can email me at patrick at truthfm.uk or even at in context at truthfm.uk. Either of those should work and should um, find their way somehow or other into my inbox. I would love to hear from you. Um, it really would be rather splendid. So until next week, um, let me wish you God's blessings. And thank you for being with us. And as we, as we close our time together this evening, let me, uh, let me play out with a, uh, a few uh, lines of what I think is a most beautiful song. And it's one that we will come back to in uh, next week's program.
1: Joy says in God, my soul oh, magnifies.